You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. And this week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome seven times champion jockey, it's Mr. John Frankham, MBE. Well, good afternoon, John. Thanks ever so much for joining us. I really feel honoured having a seven times champion jockey on the show. We've had a few on the show, and uh, I'm not sure whether you're ahead of Richard Dunwoody or behind him in terms of number of championships. Do you know what? I wouldn't even have a clue. All I know is that Tony McCoy won't... 20 championships consecutively, which will never be beaten. Mm. Um, and there was a time I was quite proud to think I'd won seven. I don't even mention it anymore. He <laughs> registered, does it, after 20? I suppose anyway, not. It, it, John's... It was all right at the time. Uh, AP McCoy, though, I mean, he's he's he's, he's something, isn't he? To, to, to make that, that number of winners is just incredible, really, isn't it? He did. He, as I told him the other day, though, he did ride a lot more losers than I did, so you can't have it always. <laughs> No, well, good of you to point that out to him, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> well, look, John, let, let, let's start at the beginning. You were born in 1952 uh, in Swindon? In Swindon, and I've been a very bad traveller. I moved to Lambourne, which is 15 miles away when I was uh, 16, and Lambourne is where I've stayed, and where I'm extremely happy. That's good to know. So, uh, you know, starting from, from 1952... How soon did you get on a horse? How how soon did the urge to become a jockey or at least get involved uh, with horses didn't really start? I didn't have any um, inkling about riding until I started um, going down to Barry Island where my grandparents lived. And we went to um, ride the donkeys on the beach and I got keen then and then started riding the milkman's um, pony. Um, used to help him doing a milk round with his horse and cart, and he had a pony. He used to let me ride it yeah. um, after we'd done the round. And I got really keen, and then my parents um, bought me a, a really lovely little pony. Um, only just had a bridle, didn't have any saddle. Um, probably when I look back now, that was the making of me, because, you know, it's very difficult to ride badly if you haven't got a saddle. It makes you sit in the right position. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, Sorry, carry on. No, I was just going to say, and it went from there, really. Yeah. Um, we had a pony, and then we started doing gym carners and show jumping, and I got uh, made friends with some really nice people over at Fairford um, called um, Peter and John Whiteman. They had a lot of ponies, 
and they were kind enough to let me ride them. And then got more into show jumping, really, and my parents bought me a nice horse called Red Paul, who um, I did well on. And I, I was toying with the idea when when I left school, um, but I had no qualifications. I was toying with the idea of actually going to work for Harvey Smith. He offered me a job, and mm. um, I'd be com- competing against him. Um, and in the end, I'd done a year's apprenticeship at Fred Winters. So um, I decided to stick it out and um, stayed there. So, so what made you go to Fred Winters in the first place then? I mean, it, 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 there must have been the urge still. I mean, were you sort of hovering between show jumping and race riding? No, I had, I had absolutely no interest in racing, um, but I couldn't do anything else other than ride. So my dad said, why don't you have a go at being a jockey? And Fred Winter uh, lived close by to Swindon, and my dad made a correct assumption. He said he's got no sons, so he won't be promoting them. Um, he's just, just had three daughters, so I went to him in 1969 and stayed there until I packed up 15 years later. And, and what a man to go to. Um, I mean, eight, eight champion trainers and four champion jockeys to stay, but, you know, not to mention all and the winners he had. Still the only man, eighty to have ridden and trained the winners of the Gold Cup the champion hurdle in the Grand National. Yeah, that's quite a record, isn't it? And incredibly loyal. He's a good man. Um, so we just, we just went there by, by luck and I'm very happy to stay there. I could have gone and worked for Martin Pike at one stage, I'd, but I'd spent so much time there. And when, once you see things done to a certain standard, you know, he had a brilliant head lad there called Brian Delaney, who Nicky Henderson and Oliver Sherwood um, learnt their trade under, and many others besides. Um, so, you know, it was a really good setup, and it's, it's, I think it's just difficult to move once you've been at the top. It's like going to Man United, and then suddenly think you're going to go and go to um, Everton, and it's just going to be run the same. I'm glad you mentioned Man United and not Liverpool. That's that's a good. Yeah, good... well, yeah, I do not mind Liverpool. I, I I'm <laughs> very happy for Liverpool or um, Chelsea or um, actually I'm I'm a big Leicester and Leeds fan. I like both of those teams probably more than any of the others we've mentioned. Oh gosh, you're going to get a rotten day on uh, August the fourteenth, then, aren't you? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's hold it there for a minute, uh, John. Going back to uh, Fred Winter, I mean, you know, obviously the things you learn in those early days are going to be with you forever. And, and with a man like Fred Winter, I should think, you know, everything was spot on. But I was reading an article where apparently um, you were worried that uh, because you've been seen talking to a jockey, a jockey, a bookmaker, um, that he might have been upset, that you know, thinking that you might have pulled horses or what have you. And his, his comment back to you, I thought was brilliant. Yeah, so that was seems a long time ago now. Um, it was during a time when um, uh, you weren't meant to talk to bookmakers these days. Jockeys talk to them all the time. They advertise for them, but in those days it was frowned upon. Um, and so I found it interesting. I rode a horse called Stop in the Imperial Cup at Standdown, and somebody said that I'd stopped it from winning, which was a load of you know, rock. Yeah. I mean, we we never had a horse that didn't do less than its best in 15 years. 
of being at Fred Winters. Every horse did its best. They didn't get knocked around. If you hit it more than three times, he'd just put you on the sidelines for for six weeks. You wouldn't have another ride. Um, everything was done exactly how he wanted to. And at the end of the year, if it made money, great. And if it didn't, that wasn't the end of the world either. But he did it. He, he trained and did things exactly how he wanted to. All the rugs and all the tack, everything was in tip-top condition. The, the hostel where the lads lived was the best that you could get. Everything was perfect, immaculate. The house, the yard, everything was immaculate. So bearing in mind that you didn't uh, particularly have any ideas of going race, race riding when you started, um, how soon did you sort of you know, get into it and think, God, this is great, I'm, I'm enjoying this? Um, I always enjoyed the schooling side of it. Um, there was a time where I thought I wasn't going to um, do any good. I, I, I rode a winner for somebody called Godfrey Burr. Um, it was my first ride, and it was at Worcester. And he was a little permit holder who lived just outside of um, Swindon. And then I struggled a bit. I broke my wrist um, on one of Fred's in an obvious chase at Cheltenham, and things just didn't particularly go. And I, I said to my parents um i think i'm going to leave at the weekend and i went down to tell him and um, i was down to ride a horse called osborne deston and he says that you can ride him at worcester at the weekend so i stayed and won on him and i think i won about 11 or 12 races on him in the end and if i hadn't been for that little horse i, I would have packed up and gone back into dealing in cars or helping my dad building or doing something mm. um so i owed him a lot yeah absolutely so looking back, you, you, you in, in seven championships, you must have ridden God knows how many horses. Um, can you pick the top five for me in reverse order and why? Oh, God, in reverse order. Bower Hill, lad's got to be up there. He mm. was a massive big horse that um, Jenny Pittman trained. He won a gold club. I didn't ride him in the gold club, but I won a King George on him and I won a Hennessy on him. Um, he was a big powerhouse. He was a little bit like Denman. Mm. Um, he'd be up there. Sea Pigeon obviously won a champion hurdle, um, had a lot of speed. Um, a very good horse that uh, Richard had trained called Border Incident, who I probably would have won a gold cup on if I hadn't fallen off him. Um, but he had a lot of ability. He won that um, Embassy Chase final up at Haydock and he won the Players Hurdle. Um, final at Chepstow. He was an absolute top class horse. He was plagued with injury, um, but on his day he was um, really good. Um, and then I rode plenty of good horses. I must have ridden the favourite in the Grand National on umpteen occasions, but without winning it. Um, Rough and Tumble, he was a good horse. I finished second on him one year. Grittar, I rode. I, I tell everybody I rode five Grand National winners, which I did, but sadly never on the day that they were winning that entry. <laughs> um, no, they played, you know, lot, lots of good horses. Uh, Little Bay was a good horse. Uh, Wayward Lad, Silver Buck. Um, can you, can you single one out as being the best? Um, if I had to go back and ride one again, interestingly, you know, one of the nicest horses I ever rode was Looks Like Trouble. Um, I went and rode him oh, a long time after I'd retired, but he was at Noel Chance's yard and he was um, favourite for the Gold Cup. He was, I was very impressed with him. Really well-mannered horse. Um, lots to like about him. But of the ones I rode, probably Burry Hill Lad was the best of them. Hmm. Did did you say earlier just now that you rode Denman or you you compared him to Denman? No, he was a 
was very much like Demi. I never rode Demi, but um, Burial Lad was a similar stamp. Very big, you know, he's like a proper tank. Relentless galloper and very strong. Mm. Okay, hold it there for a minute, John. Well, now, you know, as a, as a set, I'm going to keep going on about this. As a seven times champion jockey, you must have some tales to tell, some amusing incidents that happened to you. Can you can you recall any for us? Oh, uh, there's countless um, things that happened. You know, every day, I still ride out every day, and every morning um, we laugh. I mean, literally this morning, um, we normally have a, a racing quiz every morning, Stuart mm. Shieldston. Um, who used to ride for Fort Warwick and Martin Berry, who's Clyde Crox's head lad, mm-hmm. um, and used to ride um, Sunny Bay and a lot of good horses for Charlie Brooks. Uh, they're always riding out. They both love their quizzes. So this morning, Stuart Shieldston walks into the indoor school on this great big horse who was kicking out, and I said, he looks he looks like that Vibart that um, used to show jump. And so Stuart turned around and he said, I remember Vibart. He said, Stephen Hadley. So I said, oh, really? I said, I don't know that Stephen Hardy wrote Oh, I know he definitely wrote him, and I'm hopeless at quizzes. Mm. So anyway, when I was putting my tack away, Stuart and uh, Martin Berry had their phone out looking through. So Stephen Hardy went through a list of the horses that he trained. And while this was going on, Stuart was grooming his horse, getting him ready to um, ride out. And I said, look, I said, I think it was Andrew Fielder. And of course, it was Andrew Fielder that wrote it. And Stuart had his head buried in this horse's backside. <laughs> it was Andrew Field. He never gets anything wrong, Stuart. Um, but there's al- always somebody doing something funny in the yard. Mm. Um, and when you're racing, um, oh, this John Joe O'Neill had me one day. Um, I was in, down in the weighing room at um, Subtle, mind of my own business. Came and sidled up to me. He said, "When you get half a chance, he said, just take the Mickey out of Alan Brown, who used to ride for Peter Easterby." And I said, "Oh, why is that?" And he said, "Well, he said his mum um, plays the piano, and he's had to have his picture taken with her, and all the lads up north have you know been taking the Mickey out." And so I waited until this Alan Brown was sitting on the table, and the valets cleaning the saddles and stuff. And I said, "Look," so I said, "Here, Alan." And I said, "Oh, your mum plays the piano a bit. How about getting her down to?" Um, play at the jockey's dinner in November. So the whole weighing room went absolutely silent. And he looked at me. I thought he was going to burst out crying. He said, my mum's got no hands. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And I just went to grab hold of John Joe. And the whole weighing room burst out laughing. Of course, it was nothing wrong with his mum's hand at all. It's just been, it's just been winding me up. And then somebody's always doing something. Yeah, double bluff by the side of that one then, certainly. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, somewhere along. Hold it there for a minute. We'll put another one in here, I think. Now, um, you held the position of president of the Injured Jockeys Fund from 2012 to 2016, and you're currently still a vice patron. Uh, I know for a fact you did an awful lot to the Injured Jockeys Fund. How did you get involved in that? Was it was it for the fact that you uh, you you know you used their facilities or what? No, but when listen, when I was riding, there was no 
um, Oaksy House, Jack Berry House, or Peter O'Sullivan House. I went, mind you, I went to Peter O'Sullivan House in Newmarket the other day. It's absolutely top of the range. You know, they've learned from the mistakes they made at um, the previous two, and it's immaculate. It's an absolute uh, benchmark for anybody having a rehabilitation centre. I couldn't praise it enough, even though. Um, I probably shouldn't because I'm involved with them. Mm. Um, but it was set up by um, Paddy, Brod- well, Paddy Broderick. Um, Tim Brookshaw um, broke his neck in a fall, and there was um, there were a few people involved um, with the setting up, obviously, along with John Oaksey. And um, it's, it's obviously it's been absolutely brilliant. I mean, the number of, countless number of jockeys that they've helped over the last 54, 55 years since inception. Um, and it's grown, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive charity now, which takes a lot of holi- um, jockeys, injured jockeys on holiday. It looks after lads that have fallen by the wayside. It helps get young jockeys fit, um, helps them with their nutrition. Um, and it's, a, as I said, it's a state-of-the-art rehabilitation centre now that other um, sports come and look at them, you know, go away and put their own mark on it. But um, ours is what they look up to. And are you still very heavily involved at the moment, then, or not? In you know, in terms... quite involved. Um, Tony McCoy's taken over as president. Um, I do odds and ends um, when necessary. But um, listen, the, the, all the hard work is done by Lisa Hancock and her team at Newmarket, yeah. um, and all the almoners and people that um, work in various parts of the country visiting um, people who've um, had injuries or just, as I said, just, you know, fallen off the ladder somewhere along the, yeah. along the line and yeah. need picking up and putting back again. One of, my, good. one of my claims to fame, not that I've got many, I can assure you, but um, I, I live in a small village uh, not far from Yeovil and we put on a, a charity cricket match um, against the Injured Jockeys Fund and um, we had five uh, Grand National winners in that particular team. Which Did was, you really? Uh, Who was that? Peter Scudamore must have been one. No, he wasn't actually. Um, John Buckingham was one. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Davis. Brendan yeah. Powell. Now yeah. I'm struggling. Um, who else? Because this was back in 1980s and the old memory's not as good as it used to be. Yeah. Um, that's three certainly, but amongst other, we we did we did it twice. We, Walter Swindon came down once. Uh, oh, Lord yeah. Oaksy came down. Um, right. Oh gosh, I can't think who else now. I should have got the book out and I could have read them out to you. But but you know, uh, it, 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 listen, it's a charity that people um, luckily seem very happy to support. Yeah. No, it was. We had a load of people come. It was great. Oh, Colin Brown. Well, not that he rode a national winner, but Colin Brown certainly. That's where I first bumped into him. Um, oh yeah, that, that's four. But I, there was another one, and I can't think who it is now. It was one of the better ones too. But the brain's the brain's gone dead. It's dementia or something. I don't know. Oh uh, well, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no. So and and of course, as a result of that, I went up to Newmarket to uh, and, and oh, Bruff Scott was there as well. Um, and I right. I met Bruff Scott at uh, Newmarket to present the check to them. I think we raised about thirteen hundred quid from memory. Um, but I met I met John McCrurick, and that was one of the highlights of my life. I must admit. A good man, John. Ah, oh, he's brilliant. I mean, what a character. I mean, you, you know, you see Matt Chapman now, who, who's quite good at it, but he's not a patch on John McCrurick, is he? Oh God, no. You know, definitely not. McCrurick was just um, a one-off. Yeah. 
John was a, a very good man. And you, listen, you either liked him or hated him, but whenever anybody needed any help, he was the first to put his hand in his pocket. Yeah. Lovely yeah. man. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, amongst your other sort of uh, qualities, John, you're, you're a bit of an uh, um, uh, author. Tell me about that. How did you get involved in um, that, and what have you done? I wrote an autobiography when I stopped riding, um, which... Funny enough, Brad Scott, who you mentioned just now, gave me some great advice. He said, don't think you're going to sit down and write this book all in one go. He's just do a thousand words a day, yeah. um, which was a big help. And I thought it was a bit of a cheat to get somebody to ghost it for me. So I did it myself, and it, um, it was called Born Lucky, and it sold really well. And somebody offered me a contract to write some fictional books, and I did three with the help of somebody called Tom Shields, who... Um, was a publisher and then i went on i did 20 and but it was it was really hard work 80 you know was it? it didn't come me mm. writing yet what, you know, what, what were they were they sort of horse orientated stories a bit like yeah, dick yeah, francis or, or? Based dick francis type books and they sold really well yeah. um but after i think i did 20 or 21 or 22 something like that and after you know that amount of time is only so many times or so many ways you can murder somebody. And um, <laughs> so I haven't done anything since. But um, no, it, it was a part of my life. It, it was hard work. I found I never went away anywhere without taking a blooming book with me, doing something to it. And it was, like I said, I, I, you know, Alistair Down is mm. the most gifted writer that I've read for a long time. Um, and he'd probably knock a book out and without even thinking about it. But for me, it was just yeah. hard work. I can imagine. I don't know. I, I wouldn't even know where to start, I must admit. Because I, well, yeah. I, was, I was 15 it's, years... It's, at, amazing, it's amazing, Aidy, when you have a deadline to complete that's um, a concentration mind, I can assure you. I suppose it does, but... I was uh, I was 15 years at, uh, head of media for Yeovertown Football Club in my, in my past, and the chairman, uh, a guy called John Fry, who who was there, he was brilliant, but God, talk about talk for Britain, and he keeps going on to me, you've got to write a book for me, Eddie. we've got to do a book together, we've got to do I thought, God, a book with him talking, it would, it would take sort of 10 years to do it, you know, because he talks so much. But... 10 years and 200 <laughs> pages, I yeah, yeah, probably, probably. Um, what, there's this uh, this clip going around of you at uh, talking to Derek Thompson about Christmas dinners, you've got to tell me about that. Well, that was um, obviously a long time ago when I was still riding with Richard Rowe, and it should never have gone out. All I was doing was, you know, it was in between races, and I was trying to amuse the cameraman. I think they were freezing cold. <laughs> um, and I don't know where it came from, really. Somebody got hold of it somewhere. I know that I've never made any money out of it, so, <laughs> which was which was a shame, but I expect Derek Thompson made plenty now and then. Um, <laughs> I think but so. it is one of those trying to keep people amused you know yeah yeah well it was it was very good <laughs> it was brilliant in fact i was rolled Richard up Rose, I love it. he was the jockey in that he's lovely he trains down in um six near um nick gifford he's yeah yeah um hold it there for a minute now um me and your ex-wife have got a lot in common in our love of dogs, and I cannot believe oh, how... Yeah, she's plenty of those, yeah. Um, what a story, though, about the dog that went missing, and you found him eight years later. Tell me about that. That is incredible. Extraordinary, wasn't it? Well, listen, we, we'd split up um, oh, years before that, 
but she had um, a funny thing. It was a, like a terrier thing with long hair. Mm. Um, it was stolen, and then I think it had a chip in it. But then eight years, it's happened a few times around here. Kevin Mooney, um, who used, who's one of Whitbread, yeah. Uh, and used to ride for Fort Warren. His wife had her dog stolen, and they got it back two years later. And Miriam had her stolen and got it back eight years later. And, and Extraordinary, isn't it? Did you find out during that time exactly what happened to him? No, I don't think they ever did. I suppose somebody must have just nicked the pair, and they were both bitches, nicked them for breeding, and yeah. then just left them outside. You know, as people God. with no um, feelings for animals do, just left it out on the road, and somebody brought it back, had it chipped, and yeah. amazing. That must have Actually, broken our heart at the time, enough. though. God, yeah. that would—I would have gone absolutely mental if that had happened to me. Yeah. Well, you know, because you never prove anything. Don't know where they've been and who's mm. had them. Because we had it, we we had a Saluki, but we didn't have any experiences like that, thank God. But I was always very very careful to keep an eye on, you know, because there's a lot of gypsies yeah, about. Yeah, people are more aware of um, dog snatchers these yeah. days. I mean, they'll nick them off the end of the lead now. Yeah. Know, never mind wait to run off over a field. No, that's right. That's right. But moving on in your career, though, obviously um, you tried trading um, for not not for long. What, what what sort of went wrong there, or you know, why did you pack it in? Nothing, nothing went wrong. I started trading. I had twenty horses. I had the best group of owners anybody could wish for: um, Sheikh Mohammed, Joe Lewis, um, Edward St George, Peter Harris. Paul Green, you name them, I had really, really mm. good owners. Uh, but I didn't have any gallops, I used to train them on the Ridgeway, and I actually did all right. Um, but then I bought a farm and put my own gallops in, built new stables and everything. I was just about to move in and start training. And Barry Hills came back from Manton, um, and he was short of stables, and he said, can I rent your yard? And I said, yes. And I started working for Channel 4 for Andrew Franklin, and... Um, I sometimes think what would have happened, but uh, training's a hard life. Mm. Um, doing the TV was um, probably um, better for me in the end. Yeah. So, uh, obviously flat then, you say shape the hammock, you, you, you're not, not jumpers? Yeah, yeah, no, I had flat horses, but I had um, mostly flat horses. Um, I had one or two jumpers, but they're mostly flat. Yeah, yeah. And did, I mean, how well did you do during the short period of time you were doing it? Yeah, no, I did really well. Steve Coulson rode a winner for Sheikh Mohammed for me. Um, I won the big hurdle race at Sandown with all school batch, a lot that I'd got from Henry Cecil off the flat. Uh, what a big jumping race Steve Smith Eccles rode in. Mm. Um, no, I did well. Yeah, yeah. And then, then and I enjoyed the training part, whether I'd have enjoyed um, dealing with staff and all the headaches that other people nothing mm. to contend with, I don't know. But really, listen, we'll never know. I've been blessed with what I've done, so I'm not complaining. So moving on to TV then, um, Channel 4 in particular, they were very much the sort of flag bearers, I would have thought, perhaps more so than the BBC in terms of coverage of racing. Would you not agree? Well, um, they were very lucky that the people that produced the programme for was called High Flyer Productions, and that, that company was owned by Andrew Franklin, and who was racing mad, and John Fairley, who used to be boss of Yorkshire Television, and the both of them are absolute racing fanatics. Yeah. And so they had the sports um, at the heart of everything. Um, I think the people running racing today, they're probably very good, but I don't think they're nearly as passionate about 
um, it, as a sport and as worried about the future of it as those two were. Mm. Um, but I worked for him for 27 years. We had a great team both in front and behind the camera. Um, and they were great years when I look back on them. They had lots of nice people. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. The thing that amuses, well, amuses me, amazes me, is perhaps the word I should be using. Uh, when you look at it today, uh, I mean, I think ITV's coverage as a, purely as a as a punter and watching it on a Saturday afternoon is very good, especially with uh, Francesca Kimani on it because that brightens up everybody's day and certainly does in my yeah. case. Um, but um, the the amount of knowledge that the presenters have to, you know, be able to sort of reel out just at the drop of a hat amazes me. I mean, did you find that a, a chore? Is it just something that naturally you could just remember these things or what? Because... Um, I, yeah, I think you remember the good horses. You don't remember all of them and you've got to do a certain amount of homework. But I think most of it is... the Most most of the stuff... Listen, anybody can look through a form book. Yeah. Nothing you're going to hear said is something that you can't um, find out of a, a form book in terms of what a horse has done. What you need to be able to do is interpret... Um, races and understand the horses and tell viewers all the things that they don't find out of the form book mm. um, which only comes through you know a lifetime of experience really and looking at horses and watching races yeah quite so in 1986 and it says you've got an mbe for services to racing um that must have been a thrill but i mean did, did the uh, the queen present it to you I think the Queen Mother presented it to me. Um, if it wasn't for my own mum, um, I probably wouldn't have even bothered going to get it because I think most of these awards that they give people, you know, the likes of myself and AP McCord, all you're doing basically is working for yourself. You're not working for a charity or doing a lot of good for other people. Mm. Um, I think it's a load of old cobblers, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, you know, the people that should be getting it are the people that are doing things off their own bat um, for, for no reward. Everything that I did, you know, I was getting paid for. You yeah. know, and, and a lot of these sports, and I just think it's a bit of a... I, think, I don't agree with it, if I'm honest. Um, nonetheless, though, I presume, uh, you know, fair, uh, if it was the Queen Mother or the Queen, there must have been a bit of a chat about racing generally, was it, when you were presented? Yeah, but, I mean, they're both um, keen, but, I mean, the Queen's... Had a really good season this year with her flat horses. The Queen Mother had so many good jumpers. Only had one ride for her mm. um, on a little horse at Plumpton one day that Richard had trained, and it wasn't a very good jumper. It wasn't a very good horse, um, but she had a you know a lot of good horses and through a time with Peter Caslett and um, various other trainers. Yeah, yeah. So looking back on your career now, I mean, I know there was one hell of a lot of rides, but are there any rides, specific rides as opposed to horses that sort of stand in your mind as being, you know, a, a, a real battle and, and you finally sort of uh, won the race and, you know, a, a specific race? No, I think, you know, Christ, it must be 30 years ago that I was riding and, you know, it's all in, it's all in the past, but the, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the thing about being a jockey is working out the horses the trip that they want the ground that they want do they want holding up most of them do better for having a pat down to the neck than a smack around the backside yeah um and my love 
during my time in racing was always schooling, getting on a young horse for the first time and seeing whether it could jump or how well it jumped um, and trying to help it and improve it. Um, And that was the main thing. Did did you ever get the urge to go flat racing as opposed to jump racing? Well, Well, I was too heavy to go flat racing um, I think when I was 12, I, I think I think I think I was eight stone six when I was 12, and I was 11 and a half stone when I went into racing. Yeah. Um, aged 16, so no, I was always too heavy. Uh-huh. In fact, if you look back, Lester Piggott would never have been a flat jockey today because he started riding when he was about 14, so he had the incentive to keep his weight down. Uh, that wouldn't be happening today. He wouldn't be allowed on a race course if he was 16 or 17. Mm. But I, I read a, a comment somewhere where you said the reason you gave me that was because you were fed up with being angry all the time. I thought that was classic. Well, it's absolutely true. Yeah. I was. I was. I, I just thought there's no point in this. Yeah. Um, uh. You know, I did it for 15 years. Didn't have anything that I needed to or wanted to achieve in the sport. Um, no, I wanted to go off and do something else. I never, never regretted it. It's no point looking back. Just keep looking forward, and you know something else new challenges elsewhere so so obviously you keep yourself pretty fit if you're out riding out riding out every day yeah i think i'm fit enough i don't sit in the office much i'm outside working i've been cutting hedges all morning um probably going at a few golf balls later but there's you know no i'm lucky i've Mm. been active and you know i think if you're outside and doing things most of the day then you know you don't have to go to the gym and you know, you're very, very lucky. Oh, don't talk to me about the gym. I've got chronic sciatica at the moment. God, dear me. Well, anything to do with anything to do like that? You know, it's it's not until you, you know, I hate it when people, you know, don't want to get off their ass and do things. Yeah. You know, I always say to them, you know, if you were stuck in the hospital somewhere, you'd be happy to get out and go to work. My dad brought us all up. And he said, make work a pleasure. And he's absolutely right. You know, if mm. you're fit enough to get up and do get and do it, but, you know, something like sciatica just stops you in your tracks. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I, well, I, you know, I had 15 years at Yeovil driving around the length and breadth of the country following the team everything. But um, when I retired, you know, I, 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 I didn't know what to do. And, and I can't sit, I'm just not a sit-around-doing-nothing person. So no. um, the next thing you know, this radio station appeared, and here we are now, two years down the line, we've had some reasonably good people on board as well, you know, um, like yourself, Peter Scudamore, oh, well, well, Ruff Scott. Listen, let's, hope it, let's hope it keeps you out of mischief for a lot longer to come, Aidy. <laughs> well, it certainly keeps me out of mischief, uh, John, that's that's for sure. But, um, but look, thank you ever so much for coming on board. We, we really appreciate it. People like you, you know, you, you, you add a bit of credibility to the station where people like me don't. So uh, it's, it's really been great talking to you and, you know, learning some of your secrets, really. Pleasure, pleasure indeed, and good luck with the team for the coming season. I yeah. expect even though you're not working here, you're still following them. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, well, apparently we are official broadcast partners to Yeovil Town, would you believe? So that sounds good. Well done, that sounds good to me. Sounds impromising. Um, but yeah, no, thank you, John, for coming on. Really great. Um, you know, look after yourself and don't fall off when you're, you're riding out because that wouldn't do you a lot of good. Um, not thanks, your... for, hey, thanks very much indeed.